Recovery Elevator, episode 410. And every time I would drink and every time I would do this, I would say to myself, eh, this is not a big deal because I know what a big deal is and I know I won't get to that point, but uh, I got to that point. <laughs> uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Justin. He's 37 years old from Westchester County, New York, and took his last drink on September 8th, 2020. Great job, Justin. Have you recently quit drinking and are saying, what do I drink now? Well, check out the alcohol-free drink recipes from Kate on the Recovery Elevator website. We've got tamarind, agua fresca, pineapple basil lemonade, and more. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. What are you doing for New Year's Eve? Well, if you're in Southern California, we've got Sober Prom going on December 31st in downtown San Diego. We've got Athletic Brewing, Sip Clean, Sound Soda, and Crumble Cookies sponsoring this AF event. This is for Cafe RE members only, and it's going to be a blast. The release date for this episode is December 26th. I hope everyone had a great Christmas yesterday. If your AF streak is still going strong this holiday season, then great. If not, don't give up and keep showing up. With every relapse, or field research as I like to call it, there are invaluable lessons to be learned. Please do not beat yourself up over drinking in the past. If you drank, it's already behind you. Let it go. Beating yourself up for drinking in the past is like being mad you're mad, or sad that you're sad. It's a waste of energy and adds an unnecessary level of shame and guilt. So yes, I'm right there with you. Saying you are not going to hit start on the inner shame tape is much easier said than done. Sometimes those self-castigating emotions are almost on autopilot. When these emotions do arrive, be as present as you can and tell yourself, I'm human, I'm not perfect, and I deserve happiness, wholeness, and an occasional sugar-filled blueberry scone. Listeners, whether you're on day one or day 1000, I want you to join us for our intensive dry January course starting this Sunday, January 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern. We meet 14 times in January live over Zoom with a cohort of rock stars who are seeking authenticity and wish to lead an alcohol-free life. For Sundays, we have a speaker share their story, and Mondays and Thursday classes are lecture style with small group breakout discussions built in. Let's get 2023 started right. Please join me. Link is in the show notes to register. Thank you, Robin. Okay, let's get started. I think everyone listening has asked themselves this question or something similar at some point in their life. The question is, what's the point? What's the point of life? What's the point of all this? What does it mean to be a human? Is this a joke? If so, I'm not laughing. Sometimes we introspectively ponder these questions while on the self-checkout lane at Walmart or while watching the cool golden rays of a winter sunset. We are a species that is deeply concerned with the answer to these questions. Our ancestors were also curious. But is it that hard of a question? A question that we ask interviewees in a rapid fire round, and you'll hear it shortly in this episode, is what's the point of life? Interviewees are instructed before the rapid fire round starts 
to answer the question within 10 to 30 seconds. Now with this existential question, one would think more time is needed, but it's not. When we ask, what's the point of life? The answer is almost always at the tip of their tongue. The response is always a near derivative of love. For example, what's the point of life? To be happy, to love one another, to help each other out, to be kind to others, to make this world a better place, to help those in need. My answer to this question, which is also a near offshoot of love, is for everyone to try goat yoga at least once in their lifetimes. However, after trying goat yoga with my Nigerian dwarf goats this past summer, I quickly reached the conclusion that goat yoga is an absolute horrible idea. Within 10 minutes, a corner of my yoga mat was missing and I had a long scrape on my back after a goat used my back as a springboard with his sharp hooves. So what's the point of life? I can tell you right now it's not goat yoga and I'm 100% certain it's not goat yoga with wine, which is an actual thing. So what is the point of life? Maybe we have a clue from the ancient mystics. I came across the PDF summarizing the core teachings of the major religions, and here they are. Christianity. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Here is Judaism. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Here is Islam. Not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. All right, let's go to Hinduism. This is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Hmm. All right, let's go to Buddhism. Treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. And then let's close with Taoism. Regard your neighbor's gain as your own gain and your neighbor's loss as your own loss. I think it's safe to say that the core religions can be summarized with one teaching, the golden rule. The mystics recognized we are all one and what you do to another you do to yourself. And if you treat your fellow human being with respect and dignity, you, in turn, will experience the same. This is a straight-up gangster universal law. Now, why so much carnage has taken place in the name of religion is unfortunate, but the flawed thinking machine, aka the human ego, is running the religions, so it's really not a surprise. So what's the point of life? Well, this is for you to find out. I cannot and should not define it for you. I think by design, we all land here on planet Earth to find this out for ourselves. I can tell you this much, you can't find the point of life or God in the bottom of a bottle. I've tried, and probably some of you have too. Now alcohol is elusive. I used to binge drink. Shocker, I know. Towards the end of my drinking, I used to binge drink alone. What's up progression of alcoholism? I remember I used to drink a hefty amount of vodka in a single serving. I would then go mentally reflect on the world and what my existence means. What's the point of all this? Now the thing with alcohol is that it gives you wings, but then it takes away the sky. If you're a skier, alcohol will give you skis, boots, and poles, and then comes a heat wave to melt the snow. So within an hour of drinking alone, I'd mentally have it all figured out. However, I'd then black out, forget everything, and then cue existential anxiety the next day. Now anxiety, especially hangxiety, is the absolute worst. Back to the question at hand, what's the point of life? Honestly, I don't know, and I don't think I fully want to know. Maybe the point of life is life itself, and you're already succeeding at this by taking your next breath. Maybe you've already hit the jackpot. I can tell you one thing, with alcohol controlling your life as it did mine for 15 years, you're barely treading water and it's nearly impossible to explore these questions internally. 
I definitely think there is something to the golden rule, and it's neat in the 21st century that that can be proven with science, mostly quantum science. In fact, the 13th century Iranian Sufi mystic Rumi said, what you seek is seeking you, which is also a law in quantum science. So when we hear the golden rule, we almost always think of the other person as in being kind to another human being. But what about being kind to yourself, to your physical body? Is pouring gallons of flammable ethanol into your stomach and small intestines an inner act of the golden rule? No, hell no, not at all. So yes, treat others as you want to be treated, but you first need to treat yourself how you want to be treated. And then, and only then, can we have a shot at learning about what this miracle we call life is all about. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Justin. When we begin this journey of healing and sobriety, questions come up constantly, and not knowing is a very hard place to be. For me, being in the unknown is a real challenge. I want to know the answers. I want to know what will happen. I want to know. Wouldn't it be nice to have a manual? I know it would. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere. 100% online, plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash elevator. Thank you, Paul. In Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Justin. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy that you're here too, man. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show. Absolutely. Uh, Before we get started, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? So I've been sober since uh, September 9th, 2020. So I believe it's over 27 months. Nice job. 2020. Great year to get sober. There's a lot of stuff going on. But yes. uh, How are you feeling with with Uh, 27 months? You know, I'm feeling great. I feel like it's been um, something of a, you know, it's been definitely a journey. I definitely uh, chose, well, I don't know if I necessarily chose the ninth of the month, but I know that at the time uh, my birthday falls on the ninth. And so I wanted to have three months uh, sober before my, um, I guess it was my 35th birthday and I achieved that. And so, yeah. That's awesome. Well, before we get uh, before we get too far into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, a family, anything like that, and of course, the ever important, what do you like to do for fun? All right, so I I live in New York, I live in Westchester County, in a place called Harrison. Uh, I've been here for a couple months. Um, I'm originally I spent uh, most of my twenties in Brooklyn. Before that, I lived in New Jersey, where I grew up. I am getting married this uh, this this coming uh, autumn, and no kids yet. But we have uh, two cats and two dogs, and they definitely uh, are very uh, childlike sometimes. So we take care of them all the time. <laughs> and uh, what do I like to do for fun? I love to run. I run every day. 
it was a big part of my sobriety when I first stopped drinking. And I like to be outside as much as possible. Um, even when it's cold, I like to travel. I love to listen to podcasts, the Recovery Elevator podcast uh, specifically too. And I like to listen to audiobooks and right. hang out with friends. What's uh, Do you have like a favorite audiobook that you've listened to in the last few months? You know, yeah, absolutely. I just listened to Matthew Perry's uh, book and it was great. And I just finished that. And yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to think of it, but yeah, I think, I think he did a, I think he did a great, a great job. He's, I think he's pretty raw in some yeah, parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one as well. All right, Justin, let's do, let's do what we came here to do. Um, All right. Let's, let's talk about your relationship with alcohol. Let's start at the beginning. What, what did your exposure look like? How, how did you get introduced to it? So I got introduced to alcohol uh, through my family. Uh, my family uh, drank. They were drinkers. Nothing too out of the ordinary in terms of what other people were doing at the time. My uh, grandparents drank. My father drank. Um, I think a lot of my early childhood memories of drinking was at holidays. We'd have uh, red table wine. Um, you know, we'd take a sip of it. We'd feel you know adult-like or you know bad or whatnot. And uh, that was my first introduction to it. You know, my father, he, you know, he passed away 10 years ago. He drank a lot and, uh, you know, may he rest in peace and all that stuff. Uh, and I don't want to get too much into him. Um, but I will tell you that uh, early in my childhood, I would spend a lot of time in the garage staring at racks of Budweiser and uh, getting my father a beer and just kind of being really attuned to uh, what was going on for him. So at a young age, I really learned how alcohol affects a person um, because my father was very inconsistent. And uh, I didn't realize till I got into my teenage years that it was the alcohol and that I didn't, you know, I didn't really put two and two together that a substance could, could really uh, change the way you act and almost uh, take someone away from being present in your life. So yeah. that was my early, early introduction to alcohol. Man, that, that like, I don't know. That gives me chills. I just think about how I was as a father in active addiction and any right that, that just that word inconsistent that, yeah, that, that hits me. And I imagine again, like we don't have to dig too much into it, but that just that, that home behavior, especially as a child, I think it creates coping mechanisms. We, we learn like yeah. what's okay, what's not okay. And uh, that, that can affect our behavior in, in ways that in those moments in time become critical just to survival, like not to be dramatic, but it's, yeah, you know, as a child, that's survival. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's basically removing yourself while you're still present in the face of, of your reality of what's in front of you. However, uh, a lot of times it was really difficult to, uh, to know what I was going to get. And uh, he had a lot of times where he stopped and those were the times that we had the most connection and, you know, just the experience of uh, being let down again to find out that, um, you know, the, the his sober streak, to say the least, did not last very long. You know, I've had a lot of uh, time over the past 10 years to to grieve and to kind of accept and, you know, um, not to jump too far ahead, but I will tell you that my grandfather stopped drinking in his late 70s and he was my guiding force uh, for when I decided or when I knew that it was possible for me. That's so, beautiful, man. Yeah. 
All right. So in your early youth, we've established that there was some, I would call it like normalized or like typical stereotypical use yeah. that probably a lot of families see, you know, table and things like that. That's not, it's just something we do. Uh, and then also thrown in the mix, maybe a little bit of uh, an unhealthy relationship. Um, walking forward, when did you yourself start to experiment or, or try or? So it became a little bit strange because I started to do exactly what my father was doing. I was started to drink. So I was in about seventh grade. And I remember I got drunk with some of my friends and uh, within the same night, my father was drunk and uh, there were, it was awkward because I, I, I don't know if I noticed at the time how I didn't want to be like that. And so I took some time off uh, throughout high school. Um, I know as I, uh, my parents eventually got divorced and it was difficult for me, but I had resiliency with my grandma, but um, basically where my next level of alcohol went was that. I, I knew it wasn't for me. Like I knew it. Like I said to myself, this is not what I want to do. This is not who I want to be. And I was able to be the person who was driving. I love to drive. I got my license. It was freedom. Um, that really gave me a sense of purpose and a way out. And I, and I, you know, took it and drove with it. And, you know, throughout, throughout high school, I did drink and stuff like that. Um, but it really was, I, I really had an awareness of what alcohol could do. And, and, I, and I did not want to do it. I didn't want to go down that road. Yeah. That, it's, it's crazy how many of us have had a exposure to those, those unhealthy relationships with others and alcohol and, and have been so like strong or steadfast in that decision. We talk with our kids about substances all the time. My kids probably know more about like addiction than most 16 yeah. and 11 year olds do. But like, I love to hear them say, yeah, like, I don't ever want to do that. But also like, I, I said the same sort of things when I was a kid. So for sure. Yeah. Uh, to kind of go back, I think I kind of skipped on what I do for a living. I, I, that was kind of like what I skipped on. So let me just kind of tell everybody. So I'm a social worker and I'm also a, uh, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm a coach with this naked mind. Um, and, uh, I help people, you know, uh, rethink their, uh, relationship with alcohol. Um, I think in the moment I got, I got a little nervous, but, uh, now we can go back to where we were before. <laughs> okay. You're in high school. You realize, you know, you dabbled, yes. you had yes. a, a little bit of usage, but, uh, you realize it wasn't for you. You've got freedom through your vehicle. Yes. You're taking people around, you know, just a question on that. Be actually, before we walk forward in, in that early, like when, whenever you did, like whenever you did drink in those earlier years, even though you realize that it maybe wasn't your jam. Was there ever like a, a theme on like certain moments? Or did it just kind of happen spontaneously, like a, a night that you drank or, or were there any like trigger triggers? I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but for lack of a better one. You know what? It was, it was, uh, there was a sense of freedom and there was a sense of, I had a really close, uh, close group of friends. And in those moments, um, I definitely drank a lot with them. And it wasn't just like small amounts. It was, you know, uh, what are those like uh, beer bongs, I guess, yeah. you know, we used to do the beer bongs and play the games. And, you know, those moments that was towards like my senior year of, uh, of high school. And uh, it was really easy to just buy beer at stores at the time. You know, it was either no cards or no, no IDs and they didn't ask you. So it was towards senior year where I did, did uh, really ramp up. Now, after that, I, I, you know, I transitioned to college and college was a big, uh, was a big transition for me. 
And then I, that's, that's where drinking became a way to make friends. Did you go to school near your, near your home? Yeah, I went to school. Uh, I went to a school in Long Island. So I went to Hofstra and it was pretty close to where um, I grew up. And to be honest with you, I have friends to this day and, uh, you know, 20 years and uh, we used to drink together all the time and I don't drink with them anymore. Uh, but that's something I can get into later. You know, I think that like leaving high school and, and whether whether we go to college, enter the workforce or the military or whatever, I think that that's a, a pivotal age where I don't know, it's it's almost like a line in the sand that that we cross and we we have some sort of freedom uh that, yeah. that comes upon us but there's also like a whole new set of obligations as well uh reg yeah. regardless of our path and you know depending on our upbringing like how do like how do we deal how do we deal with this and yeah and then there's the social aspect so it's i think for yeah and i don't care what what route you go i think it is kind of a perfect a perfect storm yeah. to get into you know some misuse of of, of alcohol yeah yeah, I mean, I think about it like this sometimes too. Uh, just growing up and going through your teens is a pretty difficult time. And, uh, you know, you still have some stability, right? There's still stability. But um, what happens is when you go to college, for at least for me, I my stability was gone. I was not home. Uh, I was in a dorm. I made a, a quick decision to change schools at the last minute. It was difficult to, uh, to interact with uh, kids my age because I wasn't in the same uh, dorm areas them and to top it off you know it was difficult because i i had a challenging like to say the uh the loss of my father before that even though he was still alive was really impacted me and it really created uh, uh an ability for me to to kind of stunt my self esteem my uh, sense of self and all those things and so i kind of found myself drowning in a way of how to fit in um and what was familiar to me were uh, people who lived in the New York area. And I ended up uh, flocking towards them. And uh, it turned into just a lot of drinking and uh, I felt safe. And, you know, that was when that was it. That was it. But still, I definitely had in the back of my mind, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to be like this. And then I had a, a loss and um, I had a loss and I, and I felt that I didn't deserve to grieve because it wasn't a parent of mine. It was a parent of a friend. Mm -hmm. And I just remember I turned 21 and, uh, that was when it all, all came, all came about. <laughs> Things took another turn. Yes. There's that, that age again, even if our basic needs uh, are being met, you know, food, water, <laughs> clothes, yeah. Anyway, like these primitive things are being met. There's still, I think, a, a recurring theme that we that we hear through these interviews is that we have these unmet needs as as children, and that's people showing up for us. And and I think when we when we get to that that stage in our life, we have it. It's amplified because we we really are by ourselves, and it's bizarre because we're like when you when you go to school everybody's by themselves but like you're by yourselves together but socially like so many of us don't know how to how to express that we might mm -hmm. we might feel like we don't deserve to feel the way that we feel yes so we we stuff that down coping we don't you know we don't know how to cope with this stuff and then and then to suffer a loss too yeah yeah that's that i think of like comparison is the the theft of 
of joy and like joy doesn't really pertain to to the loss of a of a parent's friend but yeah again to be like well this is not this is not my place to grieve it's yeah. an, another way of telling telling yourself that you're not worth it yeah and you know with everything you're saying too it makes me think about being you know again do all due respect to my my family but you know growing up and uh learning that there's a substance that can make you feel different and that can make you feel checked out was an easy way to learn as a emerging adult that hey this is what it is and look it's socially acceptable and this is what people do and this is how this is how life is and that's how life was for me in college and then um you know as i as i graduated you know that also was uh, a new experience for me too so with all these new experiences in life i always had beer or wine to fall back on now interestingly enough i I didn't really drink too much um, like hard liquor uh, because I knew it. I knew in my mind, I said, if, if I do that, it's going to be bad. And so I tried to stick with beer and wine and, you know, whatever the myth about that is, uh, that was what my, that was one of my early rules, right? That was my rule and a, and a way to control it. And I merged into uh, graduate school and I went to graduate school for social work and I lived in Long Island and I drank. And that's what I did. And at the time there was no hangovers for me and it just seemed normal, right? Like when I, if I had the reoccurring thought in my brain for so long that this is not who I'm gonna be while I was doing it, I didn't realize that is who I was becoming. And every time I would drink and every time I would do this, I would say to myself, eh, this is not a big deal because I know what a big deal is. And I know I won't get to that point, but uh, I got to that point. <laughs> yeah, there's there was two words you said that just, that really hit me is rules and control. And even from, from, you know, a younger age, that's, yeah, that's, that's great recognition that that's, that that's what that is. You know, even if it's, you know, it, it can look different for a lot of people, whether it's how much, how often for you, you know, manifesting in that, like, all right, these are certain things that I'm going to stay away from. Yeah. Yeah. And then having that, you know, like you said, it kind of turns into part of our identity or like who we are. If you think about it, the idea of getting of turning 21 in the United States when you get to be able to drink, that is a rule. That is a control. And so when you reach that point, and when I reached that point, I was like, oh, here we go. I can now go to the store, not be worried about buying a six pack, go to my dorm room because you could drink on campus at the time. And then that was it. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no sense of I'm doing something wrong. There's no sense of that I'm gonna get in trouble, right? And so the rules didn't apply at that time. I was I was within the boundaries of what the rules were. And the rules said, you can drink now and drink responsibly. Hey, I didn't know what that meant, right? So yeah. I just drank like I did. And so, you know, for me, just going through college and then through graduate school, it was just a lot of drinking. It was a lot of drinking after class and, uh, you know, to, in a way to deal with anxiety and stress and, you know, perhaps even feelings of not being able to be good enough, right? I, I need something to, I need something more. I need something more than me to manage, to achieve, to get through things, right? And uh, that was something that I might have um, learned at a young age and it kind of stuck with me. And so, yeah, that was my, that was my time. I, I graduated from school, from graduate school, I got my master's and I went on to work we tend to surround ourselves with people who are doing the same things that we are. And, you know, you had said, you had said earlier that you knew 
you knew what bad was. You you knew what what problematic yeah. drinking could look like. Yes. But we we put these blinders on because we look at it through the lens of like, all right, here's what my experiences have been as a kid. This is what I know how it can be harmful. But we can't, you know, like we can't, we, we conveniently, whether consciously or subconsciously, don't expand that out because it's like, all right, like I don't, I don't have kids. I'm not, the things that happened to me, I'm not doing that. And also look at the people that I'm surrounding myself with. Like maybe I, maybe my drinking is on par with theirs. So yes, uh, couldn't be a problem. It's this huge case be a of problem. Confirm, confirmation bias that I'm, I'm yep. just doing what everybody else is doing. And it's not exactly like i know what the i know what it was when it was a problem and it's not exactly like that so i'm good yeah absolutely it's 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 yeah i totally agree with everything you say for sure so you get into the workforce uh finish up school so i finished up school i uh i moved into greenpoint brooklyn in about 2010 i had just recently found a dog and i took him with me uh, unfortunately, he passed away uh, last week. Um, he was 15 years old. And so I get into Brooklyn. I got my own apartment. I got a job. I was a social worker at a high school. And it was, I then spent the, the next 10 years going to bars, going out with friends, you know, getting wasted on the weekends, drinking on the weekdays, uh, because at this point, hangovers didn't really affect me. Now I showed up to work every day. And that was never a problem. Um, I knew my limits. I always had rules about limits. I, I did a lot of research. I said, well, if I stop by this time, I'll be okay for this time. And I spent a lot of time doing that. So those rules came into place too. I said, hey, I'm functioning. I don't, I don't ever uh, drink before, after, before work. I'm totally got this under control. And so that allowed me to feel like I could drink more on the weekends, on a Friday night, on a Saturday night even on a Sunday morning, right? Brunch, that was a thing. And so, yeah, I just spent, I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and I, and I really lived a life where, you know, bars are so accept, uh, accessible, right? And mm. uh, anywhere you go, here's another IPA. Ooh, I want to try this IPA. I want to try that IPA. I've heard about this one. Oh, maybe I'll have wine tonight. <laughs> you know, all those moments, all those moments of, of connecting with people, you know, I, I came home and saw friends from my childhood and, and alcohol was always a connector, right? There was, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine what life would have been like without drinking because, you know, I, I learned throughout my whole life is that this is what you do, right? And, and a, a lot of it was not my fault um, and I don't blame myself for it, but this is just what was normal. And so, yeah, I spent, I spent a lot of time just with friends and beer gardens. And, um, but I knew it, I knew that I would, I knew I was different because, you know, I'd, I'd go to a bar alone and, you know, I'd make friends with the bartender. And, uh, you know, my, my dad was a really big Billy Joel fan and, uh, the piano man was a theme song and, uh, who knew that that was me. Right. I mean, I did play the piano, but I would sit at the bar. Right. And I would put beer in my cup and I would drink it. And uh, that was just kind of like the reoccurring aspects of my life. And it was really anytime I felt any type of something, you know, I knew that that's what I could go to. But still in the back of my mind, I said, you know, this is I, this is not me. And I always had that. That that awareness has got to be it's tough. I think I think a lot of us listen, listening to this podcast have have had these moments where we know listeners 
like I know we know right yeah but for a lot of us like we're still like we're still in it and it's yeah it's man it's hard that is a hard place to be and to to look at to look at yourself in the mirror and to know that something needs to change and then you turn around and go to the fridge or pop a cork or Absolutely. whatever the case may be yeah. and it's, you're slowly drowning a part of yourself and like you just like you can feel it inside of you but you don't you're just like today ain't the day i can't do this today yeah, yeah. you know and i've listened i've been listening to the recovery elevator podcast since before i stopped drinking and i've listened to i i can't say all the episodes but i've listened to a lot of them and uh you know i wouldn't be able to be here had i not been a part of this community and been a and been a listener and been an observer and been on the Facebook page and been a, all a part of it. I mean, to, if you asked me, hey, Justin, a year ago, would I find myself in this moment talking to you right now, having it go on the podcast? I say, no way, I couldn't do it. But here I am. And now I say I can do it. And I and I and I I really couldn't have done this without without all the moderators and and you and Odette and Paul and everybody who shared. And I and I and I thank everybody from the past because I, I would not be able to be here without without all of it. Um, and I know that I'm going to jump to the question, but I will be honest. Uh, the Recovery Elevator podcast was my initial tool. It, it, it got me. I would get the chills at the end of it every time I listened to it. I just felt so connected. Well, I appreciate that, man. And I think that is a uh, I think that's a a beautiful message of hope for for listeners who who are still in that and you know of of course i'm obviously partial to this podcast as well but there's i mean there's so much stuff out there so if i just want to encourage you if you're if you're listening to this and and maybe you're drinking right now or or you're still yeah. you're still in that cycle i just want to encourage you to just keep immersing yourself in, in something you know this is not the time for a shameless plug but okay make sure you tune in next week uh but yeah, no, keep, for sure. You know, keep listening, keep reading, keep learning and, and trying new things. And, and it's yeah. not like, it's, it's not over. I think all of us have been at, at yeah. those, at those points where it's just like, shit, I can't, I don't know if I have anything yeah. else in me, but, but keep going, keep going. And, um, you know, you can, you can be the person you want to be. And that, you know, at the end of it, alcohol is you're giving alcohol more than it actually deserves and actually more power than it actually has. Um, but you know, not to get there too fast, uh, you know, I will tell you that, um, you know, I could go on a whole list of my life as a, as a, as a twenties year old in Brooklyn and, but I, I want to kind of get into, uh, the change and the shift that happened in me. Yeah. Let's, let's walk up to that. You've talked about like the logistics, like all the, all the things that you're doing. And again, like the amount of time and energy we put into like what we're drinking, how much we're drinking, like research, yeah. researching clocks and calendars and knowing yep. when and how much like, yep. it's just ridiculous. But, but we do it just again for more control. Cause that's what we need. We need this control. Mm -hmm. So you're doing all these things. So yeah, let's, let's look towards the end of the drinking or the beginning of the shift. How, how yeah. did that progression take place? So I was a person who went on dates and drank. I probably ruined dates because I had four, you know, gin and tonics or I had too much of something. And then I went on a date with someone who doesn't drink. And, you know, I can't tell you how much that changed my life. Right. I never thought I could be with someone who doesn't drink. And, uh, you know, my whole world opened up and I was still living in Brooklyn 
and you know he was living in the city and i will tell you that i never thought of a friday or saturday night that did not consist of me getting drunk and passing out by 11 o'clock and waking up feeling like terrible and all that stuff but i was introduced to nightlife of being present and aware and we it was remarkable how it felt like wait this is this is that person i wanted to be you know this is that person i knew i could be and uh, now trust me it didn't it wasn't that easy it was not that easy at all um i was still very heavily dependent on drinking and uh, i remember feeling shameful about it and i remember saying you know what like this is who i am i'm a drinker and i'm going to show up and this is who i am and you know it didn't matter and we continued and you know we're still together today but throughout that time i was getting some feedback some people in my life justin you're just not drinking like you used to and i'd say well i don't know what to tell you like maybe <laughs> i'm feeling a little bit better i'm not sure uh and uh the biggest shift was a now i know we talk about the geographical move right and i ended up moving to amsterdam uh in this in the fall of 2019 and before that i had left my job and i remember putting a rule out there and saying you know what justin uh you will not be drinking in the during the day this will not cause you to be drinking during the day and this was and i and i'll tell you the hardest part of my of my drinking life began in 2019 because i i couldn't keep up to that rule mm. i couldn't do it and um i found myself being alone you know because i was back in the city at the time and drinking and just completely feeling like i i i didn't know who to talk to i didn't know what to do soon after that i did a personal development course and they said hey please don't drink for 10 days and i said yeah right <laughs> and you know i drank on the plane i drank at the hotel but i didn't drink for those 10 days and uh i felt amazing and i thought it was going to last it didn't last it did not last i went right back to drinking and uh i'd say from the time of november 2019 until about january 2020 that was my hardest that was the hardest time for me because i i had to realize that hey like i guess i really do have a problem with drinking like if all else is not happening and all i'm doing is this and this is all i think about and want to do i i've gotten to that point that i didn't want to be and so you know i ended up finding audiobooks and one of the first books i read was uh after the tears and it was about adult child uh children of alcoholics now i never did alanon before but uh i i listened to this whole book and wow you know i could do a whole podcast on my experience <laughs> of listening to that book but i will tell you that's when i realized that yeah that is me and i felt for the first time validated and heard and i felt like wow this makes sense and that you know there is something bigger than me and i don't need to be doing this and so that was a huge shift and so after that i was worried about the pandemic and i and i said to myself like this is how i'm going to cope with things it's just to drink and i i just couldn't i could i didn't want to do that and so i 
got really into audiobooks. I listened to every recovery book. I listened to Alan Carr's Stop Drinking. I listened to, you know, I, I'm not, you know, the, We Are the Luckiest, which was the best, uh, you know, Drinking um, by Caroline Knapp. I mean, all of those oh, books, yeah. it just became, that became my everyday. And uh, I started running at that time. The gyms were closed and that's when I started running. And so I would just run around Amsterdam and listen to all these books and then throughout the rest of the rest of 2020 or into the spring of 2020, I, I actually did four days and I felt, wow, I just did four days without drinking, right? I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it because that was never even a thought. I didn't want to go four days without drinking in my past. Why would I ever do that? I'd say, <laughs> and now all of a sudden here I am. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest. I sat, I sat at dinner one time and i um, drinking a beer. And I look over at a family and they're just drinking soda. And I'm like, wow, wow. I want to be like that. I want to be a non-drinker. Like, I don't want to be drinking any longer, you know? And it was those moments of clarity for me um, when I started to realize that there was a way out. Because now here I am, not just connecting to the loss of my father and the loss of my grandparents, but I was connecting to, to the gains of hearing other people's stories and the life and the magic that they bring and how I absorb all that. And so I go into, I go into, you know, March and I have 30 days and I'm like, wow, I just did 30 days of no drinking. And I always went right back to drinking. Now I'm not a scientist, but I will tell you that I did a lot of research, a lot of uh, scientific research on myself, right? <laughs> what happens when I go five days without drinking? Well, what happened was I'd go the next five days with drinking and I would start logging how I felt and I felt terrible and my anxiety was through the roof and I was no longer able to, to do some things that I wanted to do because I was, I was feeling panicked all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a panic all the time. And I was just, I was, I was journaling about it. And that's that was one of my tools was to to go back and to read over what I had written before to remind myself of how I felt, what was going on for me, and uh, just to try to be present in that moment. So, yeah. I think that's a, a like a great method and, and a great tool just to, to be analytical about it, like without reserved judgment, which is sometimes hard to do on ourselves. For sure. But, you know, do, do those things like you were saying, like keep keeping track of keeping track of usage and, and how it feels when I don't, how it feels when I do. And I just want to throw a disclaimer out there that like, not everybody's a day counter. And sometimes that can be, sometimes that can push people another direction. So if you, if you're one of those people, like, like that's okay too. Like if you don't, if you don't want to count five days and then, uh, you know, the experimentation with drinking again, if that's going to push you in a direction, then, then by all means, don't do that. I don't think there's there certainly isn't one way to do this, but I think that is a, I think that's a, a great, a great way to look at it is just kind of be like yeah. analytical. I mean, it's, it's just data, collect, yeah. collect data, try you know, to reserve your judgment and just be like, all right, what, yeah. what am I feeling? What's my productivity you know, I, like? I absolutely love that you just said that because I realized that that's not how I got sober. Counting days was not how I got sober. In fact, not counting days was how I got sober, which I'll get into um, because I found myself being completely obsessed over days and over, over time off and all this stuff. And so, and not only that, just 
just saying, oh, I had five days and then going back to it. I was disappointed in myself, Mm -hmm. right? And disappointment only led me to feel bad and to keep drinking. So I'll kind of fast forward towards, you know, uh, the summertime of 2020. We, you know, because we were living in Europe at the time, we were able to still travel as, you know, as as dangerous at the time it was, we did. And uh, we traveled to Sicily and I'm running and I'm listening to alcohol as shit. And uh, I hear a little glimpse about this thing called the recovery elevator. And I was like, well, what is that? Right. I just thought of like an elevator. And so (laughs) I'm listening to the book. And, you know, of of course, when I was in Italy, I drank wine um, and I felt terrible about it. And I was hiding it a lot. Um, I was a big, I was a big hider when I was drinking. Um, I would definitely drink before doing things that I was going to go drink at. That was a big part of my drinking. It's a little Um, pregame action. Yeah. Pre-game action, you know, white claws were the best because it was clear. And so anyway, so jumping towards like where I ended up in, um, in September was what happened was, is that we, we were in California and we were having a, a Labor Day party. We have a house out in uh, California and I spilled my drink on someone I didn't know. And I thought, wow, how embarrassing. And at that point, I was like, I can't do this because I had so much, I had so many days where I was present and aware and, and sober Justin didn't spill drinks on people by accident. And so it was Labor Day weekend where I said to myself, I said, Justin, uh, it's time, it's time. And, uh, counting days and going back and doing these things is just not going to work. And so I took my last drink. Uh, I took my last bottle of wine on September 8th, 2020, and I drank the whole thing. And then the next day I needed beer to feel better. And I felt the cycle and I ended up being hungover at about four o'clock. And I listened to a podcast that said, Hey, uh, you know, I just can't, maybe it was on this podcast. Someone said, I just couldn't get take another hangover. And I related to that. And I said to myself, Justin, you can't do another hangover. You just don't have it in you. And so I said, okay. And so September 9th came around and I just said, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to count it. I'm just going to live. I'm just going to listen to the podcast. I'm going to be present. I'm not going to think about anything. And so I took the counter, I put it to the side and I just went for it. And I think I made it was, I mean, I know that it was about maybe a week or two later, I said, okay, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to go back and revisit like where I'm going with all this. And one of my biggest, one of my biggest uh, tools was to play the tape uh, forward. Yeah. I would say I spent those days without a counter, just laying in bed, being grateful for not being hungover, being grateful for waking up in the morning and feeling good. You know, I had a partner who would wake up in the morning and be the same person they were when they went to bed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a father who was like that. And that was my consistency. And it modeled consistency to me. And so I became that person. And so kind of moving forward in, in the sense that I, it would be a lullaby at night, thinking about how I didn't drink. I'd say, I didn't drink today. And that's what got me to sleep. In fact, Thinking about how terrible I used to feel also helped me fall asleep because I knew it wasn't me anymore. Right. Yeah. So now, you know, I went, I, I, 
I, I moved past it and yeah, that was a huge, that was a huge uh, tool. That statement that I get to wake up and be the same person that I was when I went to sleep dude. that is so powerful. That's huge. Yeah, that, that's, that's how I found it to be. And I'll tell you something else. There was joy in waking up in the middle of the night and just being aware of what was going on around me. I finally felt, you know, as a child who was always scared in the middle of the night to an adult who was always drunk, confused and anxious in the middle of the night to being aware, alive, present, having a memory and just still being me. You know, that's what, that's another thing that got me to realize that, hey, this is a better life and that I could, I could, I could show up for myself. That's, man, that's so cool, Justin. And uh, just like huge kudos to you for, for, for trying different things and and immersing yourself and just figuring out like what it is, like what, what is it that's going to help you um, achieve the things you're trying to achieve? Uh, we've got a couple minutes before before we'll go to rapid fire, and in that time, I just I want to talk about like what you're doing now. The last you know twenty seven ish months, what has the progression of recovery looked like? What what things have worked for you? Where are you at today? So some of the things that have worked for me, uh, one of my big obstacles was uh, returning back to New York and family uh, in twenty twenty one and being a non drinker. Uh, and just taking away the power of alcohol. That is my, that is my biggest tool. Um, I'm around people who are drinking and I just say, you know what? Uh, it is, you know, let's say it's five o'clock right now. I know I'm going to leave by nine o'clock. I'm going to be the same person as I was when I came in and when I left. And you know what? I've got stuff to do at nine o'clock when I get home. So it was just constantly thinking about time, thinking about worth and thinking about how I wanted to stay present. And it was present for me because I found myself being more sociable, more likable, more, uh, you know, more comedic, more present. And it just and the other thing that 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 left my brain was negative self-talk. What did I forget? How did I not remember? And so I used all those things as fuel to just stick with what I knew was right for me from when I knew it when I was a 15 year old. Right. And I took that and I carried it with me and I just kind of, I just kind of jumped out over and I, and I, and I landed and I landed on a place where it just didn't matter to me anymore. Like I just, I, it just made no sense. Like I just didn't see the purpose of it. And I enjoyed being sober and present. And, and again, the joy of waking up in the middle of the night and feeling okay, I didn't realize was possible. (laughs) And so with what I did was I, I ended up, you know, I, I really connected with uh, the, uh, the snake in mind and um, I became a coach, a certified coach with them last, uh, last, well, this past summer. So I've been helping other people along the journey and um, I've met a lot of great people through the program and, uh, you know, still with my social work uh, degree, I'm continuously learn about, you know, uh, you know, alcohol use disorder and all that other stuff that got involved, but really just reminding myself that, that alcohol is not for me and I know it. And I can manage all these, all these interactions with friends and family and the questions of why you don't drink anymore. You know, I don't need to tell anybody anything. I don't need to explain to somebody why I don't drink anymore. I could say, hey, I just don't drink because I don't drink. Like, what's it matter? And so to allow myself 
to forgive myself, to be myself and to be proud and happy for myself really translated into me being able to survive the alcohol storms of other people around me and not being, uh, uh, you know, roped into the tornado of, eh, maybe I'll just have a drink or whatnot, (laughs) because I knew where I stood and I solidified that in myself. I love it, man. Just giving yourself a, giving yourself a shot, just seeing it like that you're worth it because you are and we all are. And just giving yourself a shot. Uh, I love when you were talking about the negative self-talk. It's crazy when we stop giving ourselves reasons to hate ourselves. Yeah. Like all this stupid shit that we do when we're drinking. It's we're not igniting that. And it's just for what it's worth, it, you know, that sometimes that talk still exists. But I think we have a, I think we have a, a much better shot at facing it. Recognize, sure. Recognizing like the truth and the, and, and the lies that our mind is trying to tell us. Yeah. Uh, we're, we equip ourselves so much more when we're not, when we're not just drowning that. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, is that you could be a person who never drank and obviously still have negative self-talk that that's just part of being a person in this world. Now, when you add alcohol into the mix that, that uh, affects your brain chemistry, then it's, then it's, then it becomes worse. And so, you know, I'm not telling anybody that you stop drinking. You're never going to think bad about yourself because that's not the truth. But you might think a little bit less less times negatively about yourself because you'll see the more positives. At least for me, mm-hmm. I saw the positives. Yeah, and it it just it gives us a it gives us a shot. It gives us a, a chance to to practice some of these things to you know be mindful and and take a look back and like what's real and what's bullshit. And yeah, with with alcohol, I just it, personally I I never had that. I just I bought into it. And that gave me a reason to need to numb and yes. in, in recovery, like it's still there. I still feel it, but yeah, but I can look at it. Exactly. That's the key to it. That's the key to this to face it. And, uh, I, for me facing it is just learning more about myself. And so I continue to do coaching. I'm in, I'm, I'm I see a coach, I do therapy, I connect with other people. You know, I really believe like, uh, you know, it's like, what's the opposite? What was the saying all the time? Like the opposite of addiction is connection. Like to the listeners out there, like I would run and I would get the chills in my bones hearing that because I thought that I was alone and I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And, and, and at the time when Paul was, Paul was doing it, those words, that's what got me here. And so that's why I'm here today. I'm here for no other reason, but to be able to say that I could share my story with everybody. And again, Thank you for everybody in the recovery elevator who have shared because I wouldn't be here where I am today. And I, and that, that, that's my message I want to give across um, because you stay here long enough. It, it's, it's going to happen and it takes time for everybody, but just stay connected. Yeah. We've got our episode list is full of just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful souls. And I'm glad that we get a, Glad that we get to etch your name. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad Is that to be you, here. Corny? That we get to etch your <laughs> no, name on that it. list. Thank you. I'm it's, so happy to be here. I, I couldn't. I I tried to tell you. I, there's more to it, but I, I, we don't have enough time. Justin, uh, this time is has absolutely screamed by. We are at the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yes, I think. All right. In 30 to 60 seconds, please answer these questions. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I would I would have no friends and no one would ever I would have I would be alone. I would have no friends. I wouldn't be able to connect, nothing. 
What is a positive that you did not expect in your life without alcohol? A positive I did not expect in my life without alcohol is that I am actually more of a positive person. I didn't realize that would have changed. I thought I would still be the same Justin, but the positive is that I feel positive. Now I have my days, but generally, you know, I'm allowed to feel positive. That's awesome, man. We all have our days. That's all right. Mm -hmm. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Um, I'm really into the Lagunitas uh, alcohol-free IPA. I also okay. am really into, I do, so there's a disclaimer, I do like NA beer, but I am a diehard uh, die seltzer fan. Yes. So, you know, give me some orange seltzer, please, and I will <laughs> drink it all day. I just, I keep like a, a little trash can in my office. <laughs> and my wife was in here this morning. She's like, what is your deal? Because it's like, I, it's yeah. my recycling and I take it out to the yeah. garage. I've got to crush it. And I'm Same like, here. Like, how long is that? Did that take you to fill up? I'm like, oh, three days. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Miller Lite. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Justin, what's your plan on sobriety moving forward? Uh, my plan in sobriety moving forward is to continue doing what I'm doing, is to stay connected through the podcast, is to continue to work with people who want to learn more about their relationship with alcohol and free find freedom from it, and to just stay knowledgeable, learning, and uh, just here in the space, and to never forget uh, who I am, and to never turn my back on recovery, because it is so important. Um, and I'll tell you, this may be more than 30, 40 seconds, I knew that this is what I was going to be doing even before I knew what I was going to be doing as a drinker. This was a space that I knew I was going to be in and I am proud of it. And I say it proudly to my family and friends. And that's the most important thing for me. Awesome. And what part of piece of guide guidance can you give our listeners who are early in recovery or thinking about getting sober? That's it. I could talk for hours on that one, but I will say that it's possible. And that if we, if we really begin to question everything we already think about what alcohol does for us and, you know, take, take each layer piece by piece and realize that you alone is, is enough and that you don't need that. And that in reality, alcohol takes more than it gives and that there's support. There's so much support out there and that it's no longer a taboo, right? Like people are getting sober all the time and it is so much more acceptable. Just go on the internet and click celebrities. You know, people I'm not saying celebrities are great or anything like that, but saying people in this world are stopping to drink and that you don't have to drink. No one ever said you have to drink. So amen to that. And last, but certainly not least, what is your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. Uh, you might need to ditch the booze if after a night of drinking, you're too anxious to leave your house the next day. Just a little alcohol onset agoraphobia. Absolutely. Take, take a it goes of. away. <laughs> I love it. Justin, you mentioned that you do sober coaching. Uh, if listeners want to want to reach out and contact you, is there a way that they can do that? Yeah. Uh, my website is alternativedirectioncoaching.com. Or you could find me on this Naked Mind website under coaches. And uh, yeah. Awesome. And, and you we, can email me at justin, uh, the life coach 450 at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you. And we will have that stuff put in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. Uh, justin, thank you so much for your time today. I can really, I add one thing? Yeah. My favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. Just yes. wanted to throw that out there. 
I needed to say that. I anytime somebody wants, we'll make this con- this podcast as long as it needs to be. <laughs> if people want to talk about ice cream. Yes. Why is that not on my rapid fire round? Right. I'll make an edit. I had today. to edit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on, man. Thank, Thank you for you, opening up. I appreciate you. You're doing you're doing I great things. You. Thank you so much. All right. Be well. All right. You too. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Justin, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Well, team, this episode drops the day after Christmas. For many of us, we're in the home stretch of winter holidays. All that lays before us is New Year's. How has it been going for you? That's a question I never really liked asking myself. Rather than have any sort of reflection on my drinking, I just kind of let it go unchecked. As we finish the year, take some time to ask yourself this question without judgment. How have things been going? Did I have a plan for the holidays? Was I able to meet my goals? What went right? What could have gone differently? What can I learn from this? Again, I think it's really important to ask without judgment. Accountability works for me, but shame just pushes me into a dark space, and there's no room for that here. Be honest with yourself and observe how your responses make you feel. A catalyst for my growth and getting my recovery started was this type of radical honesty with myself. That honesty made room for me to accept where I was, which in turn allowed me to get the help that I needed. Give these questions the time they deserve. Really sit with it. Maybe you'll discover it's time to find some support or that you need to bolster the support that you already have in place. Maybe it'll be confirmation that what you're doing is paying off, or this might be the tipping point to help you get that day one under your belt. Whatever you discover, I want to encourage you to love yourself through it. Life keeps moving forward, and it's okay for us to change with it. You are worth it. You're the only one that can do this, RE, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys. Stop again.